0: Welcome to Istanbul Boom. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Istanbul Boom. This week's episode is really special because Istanbul Boom is liberated. Mustafa Bey, our government, op- op- government our government minder, is on vacation, and we miss him. We miss him terribly, but. Even though he's away, his and we idea… And
1: we hope he's safe on his Pegasus trip to
0: eastern Ukraine for yes. business. But his ideas still live with us, and we are continuing to walk on the shining path he showed us.
1: Mustafa has assured uh, both us and his wife that this is just a business trip to eastern Ukraine, and that he will…
0: <laughs> it's strictly he, a business he'll be back trip in and He'll be Donetsk. back just
1: as clean as he left us.
0: Yes. So, we are waiting for, it for Mustafa Bey next week. <laughs> So, so, Mike, um, what, what, what happened this week? What's, what's the. There's the refugee deal, right? The Turkey EU refugee deal. You're
1: going to force me to talk about this, aren't you?
0: I will, yeah. You didn't introduce our studio audience. This time, Boom Boom has a growing fan base. It's a rapidly growing fan base. And we are again taping this show in front of a live studio audience. Yeah!
1: Getting bigger and bigger. That's really grown from us just uh, echoing <laughs> Lone Voice in the first place.
0: <laughs> this time we didn't do special effects <laughs> in real audience. so yeah, it's the benefit of doing it's a it's, live show. By the way, since Hunter is terrified to be on this podcast, we
1: can bleep his, his name out later. Yeah, <laughs> our friend beep.
0: <laughs> so, so the refugee deal, man. What do you think about the refugee deal, Mike? I mean, everybody's pissed at this. Everybody is, like, really angry. I don't understand why people don't like this deal. Do you? I just,
1: you think? I, I... I can't pay attention to the criticism because I'm just like, at least they did something. Like, yeah. I, I
0: don't...
1: I, I, like, I, I can't get mad at Turkey for for really anything when it comes to refugees when they've, they've had, like, two million people here plus for for five years now. And... At least, like you know, it's like it sounds nasty. Like uh, you're you're trading a refugee for a refugee. Um I mean, I'm sure. I mean, it's like you're it. it, It's ugly. But But, like the whole whole thing is ugly. People drowning, going to Greece is ugly. But also, like
0: I'm sure, if you like listen to internal UNHCR talks, it's ugly too. You know, like how are you going to solve the refugee crisis without actually talking about refugees? Like that's
1: yeah. I people. I mean, people were like kind of. Shocked when, when the tapes leaked of Erdogan just like very blatantly using refugees as a, a bargaining chip. But like, that's what they are. That's, I mean, that, it, it's a horrible thing, but that's, what, that's what's going on, you know? Like, th- that's definitely how people are talking about them. Or if they're not, I mean, Erdogan has the special capacity to be extremely blunt, but like, I, you know, that's, that's what it boils down to anyway. I mean, I think one of the reasons. And at least something got done.
0: I, I think one of the reasons why people get pissed. Is and I found this out through telling people that I don't understand what's wrong with this thing, and I've been yelled at. And nobody,
1: what, nobody, in, nobody in our audience agrees with this,
0: I think. Yeah. Oh, maybe <laughs> they do. <too. laughs> <laughs> <laughs> <laughs> so, but we, re- <laughs> you really did get yelled at like an hour ago. Yeah, though. I did. You, you saw it. Right? Yeah, yeah, I got yelled at. And what people have been saying is Turkey is responsible, Turkey has a certain amount of responsibility in the war in Syria, which is true. I mean, they, Turkey armed the rebels. We don't know what extent they armed the rebels It's like Turkey by
1: itself armed the rebels, though.
0: Yeah, that's also a point.
1: Like, if you read, if you read, like, especially like the, the, um, the well-placed intentional U.S. government leaks in the press, like they're always, they're always making it clear that they, that they were sort of overseeing that process. So I don't really think that they get to be divorced from that. And neither does Qatar and Saudi Arabia. And, and the US, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, or France, like, they're, all, they're taking no refugees at all. So I don't, yeah. I, don't, I don't think just blaming Turkey is fair. I mean, you could, you could definitely blame them for the ISIS problem, for leaving their borders open for so long. But that's not what's causing the refugee crisis.
0: Yeah, no, it doesn't. And Turkey gets, uh, gets the visa thing, which is, makes me happy.
1: I think it's a mistake, though, that we're using the one episode where Mustafa went to Ukraine to defend Turkey. We have, like, the rest of our lives to do that.
2: <laughs>
0: so our, our guest for the week is, is Bradley Seker, our really good friend, the most, most fabulous journalist journalist around. Um, Bradley, Bradley is doing this really good, uh, great project on, on LGBT the situation of LGBTs in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. So, what's what's up?
1: I'm always like fascinated by your work because <laughs> it seems like it's like the most one of the most impossible things to report on in this region. Like, I like I, I seriously yeah. would be shitting my pants to go anywhere near the Syrian border and start asking about that kind of stuff. It's just it's just not tolerated.
2: It's not tolerated. True.
1: And been- how do you not get your ass kicked? <laughs>
2: I get occasional few messages, threatening messages, but they're usually bullshit. But they got a bit more scary recently, which was worrying. But I realized as a photographer, it's probably the most unphotogenic thing to take, you know, on board as a project because people don't want their faces. They yeah. don't want where they're living. They don't want any of this stuff revealed. And my job is to tell their story through pictures. So yeah, it's kind of tricky. I'm not maybe doing that on the border. That's not always true. But I had you, a lot lived, of, you lived on the border. Yeah, you know, I had a lot of personal adventures in this subject matter on the border but um photographically maybe not so many <laughs> that's not for Istanbul. Ah
3: <laughs>
1: yeah i mean you were reporting syria before it was fashionable if you can yeah the you thing were, is I mean, was... when when the whole when the whole wave of journalists got there in like summer 2012 you were ready you already had an apartment and were living there yeah yeah yeah um, yeah you're like the ultimate like you're like the syria uh, hipster
2: yeah, I was cool before it was cool. Yeah. I was Syria before it was Syria. <laughs> and, then Actually, and, then Syria.
1: Then and then when everybody got there, you were like, fuck this, it's over. You yeah, know, I'm like, done. Like, this is
2: move on. And then we all moved to Istanbul. Like, <laughs> where are we going next, bro? <laughs> um, yeah, it was 2000, 2008, my first Syrian trip. So, fuck the hipsters. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs> <laughs> Fuck the jihadis. Come on. So, yeah, it's interesting. In Istanbul, actually, it's a nice place to be based. When I first moved here, I decided to come for three months, maybe six, to do stories about LGBT asylum seekers uh, that I'd met before in Syria that ended up in Turkey or uh, came from Iran and ended up in Turkey. It's like a transit country, basically, for LGBTs before they go to Canada, the US, Europe. Then ended up staying longer because a million things happened in Turkey and and the region around. But Istanbul now is actually quite interesting after the Syrian conflict happened because there's this sort of grassroots community, not just from Syria, but from other kind of Arab countries because they don't need visas for Turkey. They can come uh, visa-free and stay here. And then if they want to go to Europe, obviously they go to Europe. But there's actually quite a big community of LGBTs in Istanbul that are making something for themselves. They're making a scene Going out, having a community, they have a network. There's Facebook groups. There's a radio station actually as well. Um, yeah, it's quite interesting. In and regard. how is they like, like? Is it is it easy for them in Istanbul or is it? I think easy it's easy for them in places like Taksim. Half of Istanbul's is completely homophobic or transphobic, and the other half is completely fine. For, I got a message the other day, two days ago, for example, a friend of mine telling me that he's been beaten up. He needs to go to the hospital. WhatsApping me pictures of him beaten up on the face. Fuck. It's a homophobic attack, right? So these things do happen. On a serious note, mm. on an optimistic note, like yeah, it's it's completely fine. People are free here. They can express themselves. They have a community. Have these organisations. Every Sunday they have this tea and talk thing, shaiu heki. So it's uh, yeah. Would you say
3: that they have LGBT together? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> This man is a magician. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we have the world's foremost expert on puns. <laughs> yeah, no, no
0: pun intended. Oh,
1: yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, I've, I've actually been watching him bite his tongue at least five times. Right? Really? Like, yeah.
2: yeah. Oh. This is Release irritating. them. I <laughs> Give it a little
0: bit. <laughs> <laughs> so. Bradley, I, you, have a, you have an amazing, amazing story. So Bradley, you, you first went to Syria. Did you know how we usually
1: play the Istanbul Boom Boom theme song to like change subjects? I think we just do it with the puns this episode. <laughs> <laughs> like, every time there was a pun, we just stop whatever we are doing and we do something else. Yes.
0: So, Mike, you've got a lot of stories. So Bradley, you were, you were in Syria yeah. before the war. Yeah. And you have a really crazy story. You took a camel It's not that crazy, but you desert. think it's crazy. You took a camel... Through the desert, from Darzor to
2: Jordan. By from Palmyra to to attempt to cross the Jordan. What? Yeah. <laughs> I bought a camel. <laughs>
1: what? Yeah. Are serious?
2: Yeah, it's really, it's true. It's, it's real. <laughs> and he was stopped by the Mohabbas.
0: <laughs> yeah, they should have. Why? There's no more going down the desert with a camel? You
2: know, but when they stopped me, th- they... A they actually thought I'd defected from the British military in Iraq and had smuggled <laughs> myself over the border and what was trying to... What year him. did they
1: think it was? <laughs> it was 2008.
2: There were still Brits so in... What year uh, did they think it was? Oh.
1: They're like, the cam- one, of the, one of their camel
0: division is... Yeah. is-
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's straight, just lost over the border or whatever with Iraq.
0: Well, well, like thing like when you think about you buying the camera, right? Because when you buy it, everybody... I, I, on you a second, you can't... What? No. <laughs>
2: Can you just explain to You've
1: pictures. Ended? I can send you pictures. But why were... What were, you, were you a journalist or were you just like a...
2: I was taking pictures.
1: That, that's... <laughs> that's... You know, when you tell them that to up, that always works, by the way.
2: Yeah, oh yeah, i taking I'm pictures. I'm just a man with
1: a camel and a camera. <laughs> Don't mind me.
2: Actually, the camel trip was more like I just want to get away from civilization and be <laughs> in the Syrian place. wilderness by myself. That'll do it. Yeah, it was lovely. <laughs> I met some lovely Bedouins and... Uh, <laughs> They hosted me. They fed me. I uh, yeah. Background check. There was no background check.
3: Did you bring in like a camel? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so Bradley. So
0: I know the story. And Bradley is being shy for some reason. So you first you try to buy the camel, and everyone thinks. You just want the camel ride for five minutes?
2: Yeah, because it's Palmeira, it's a touristic place, right? They just thought, oh, this, you know, this blog wants to ride a camel for five, ten minutes around the ruins. And I, I kept saying, no, no, I want to buy the camel. And then they, they didn't really get it. And then I was, you know, I thought, let's find someone that speaks English. Uh, found some guy that spoke English, who actually now I've met again in Istanbul. It's a very small world, After six, seven years. Um, who then realized, actually, I do want to buy the camel. And took me to the camel market to buy the camel. There's a camel market? Yeah. They
1: wouldn't sell you the one that was fucking, do you know the, the camels are no. fur- camels are fucking terrifying also.
2: They're fucking expensive as well.
1: You bite your head off too. I How did
2: much it was well, the t- I think it was roughly about $2,000. dollars they
4: did you know what you were yeah.
0: doing? How much is the five from pump you're to check?
2: No, no, to, to cut the story short, in all in all, after selling it, I, don't I don't lost like about $300. So guess, it was not, I, it's not—it's not such a bad trip. It was a good realized, business. I never
0: realized what a. What there did. are more details he's not telling us. There's one part that you told me. I remember that you are riding it. The muhabarat comes and tells you to ride along the highway. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, no, fuck you. The whole point is, I want to ride it through the desert. Yeah. And then they followed you with the motorcycle. Well, they didn't follow me. They—they—they
2: well, they, they, they kept re- reapproaching me, several yeah. points. they be like, mm, and then they'd come up to me and say like. Road, road, road. <laughs> and then I'd say, okay, tamam, tamam. And then, you know, I'd go along the road. They would go, road, you. <laughs> and then I said, yeah. And then I would just go like, Shh. and then they would come back again. This happened for like two or three days. I had an adventure with a uh, with Bedouin as well. That was quite interesting. So I told you this just now on the balcony, overlooking the Bosphorus here in uh, our bunker. Yeah. Which is uh,
1: completely safe from Gulen, PKK, ISIS. Or Muhaburra. and
0: most of all, the HK no, I mean, serious,
1: serious.
2: Alhamdulillah.
0: <laughs> so you somehow got in touch with the camel?
2: Yeah, I got WhatsApp messages from the new camel owner who sent them to me. He's in ISIS territory, but he's safe. What, the camel was like, hey, message Bradley? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, the camel... No, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I, I miss that, fucker. <laughs> they, <laughs>
0: named it, they named the camel Bradley. Yeah,
2: I, I, I named the camel Alfie, right? Because it's not... It's a normal name, Alfie. right? Alfie. It's cute. It's, it's a very nice camel. Alfie's not a normal name. <laughs> How do
0: you know it's a normal camel name? How many camels do you know? Alfie.
2: It's like, a, Alfie! You're so British. You know, you can... You know. Okay. <laughs> I'm very British, maybe, but okay. But then the people who bought it from me... Just it, a, a regular Belouins. street name like Cornelius. <laughs> <laughs> they... So, the, yeah, the, the purchases. Uh, the you know, people that bought it from me bought, uh, called it Bradley. So now there's this fucking camel, walking around in ISIS territory that's called Bradley. Uh,
1: uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know how like uh, there are these stories where, where like there's like a plumber in uh, in Texas who had like a, a Ford pickup and he had he put his name and his business on the, on the Ford <laughs> yeah. and then it ends up in ISIS territory on the news. Yes. Yeah, like, this. This, is, this is a thousand times better than that.
2: Well, the ca- is the cable. camel in ISIS mm. now? Yeah, but is it ISIS camel? I'm not sure he's voluntarily part member members, membership you know, part he's of the union, a lot of them. but he's, he's living in under ISIS rule. When I tried to get it to Jordan, right? Because this was unsuccessful. My whole journey, I had to leave it in Douma after being blocked from Damascus because the police told me that I can't take the camel into the downtown. <laughs> they, I had to store it in Douma, which is now being heavily bombed. And I'm, I'm sure the, all the poor people, there. yeah. So, um, <laughs> the point was that yeah, they wanted a camel. I can
1: be able to sleep tonight. This is like blows my mind.
2: <laughs> they wanted a camel passport to like documentation of the camel to take it across international border. I didn't have it because it was like from the desert market, right?
1: But, but like more civilised camels have passports and can travel. On.
2: Wait, I need to have all these like vaccinations and stuff, <laughs> which is expensive. <laughs> then a blog in a restaurant in a French restaurant in Damascus uh, offered. He's like, came up with a solution. He's like, yes, I can do it. I can take it to Jordan. I can meet you on the other side of the border. <coughs> I said, All right, how do we do it? He said, "What do you prefer, guns or drugs?" And I said, "Neither. <laughs> like, let's not <laughs> let's not do this." <laughs> he said he wanted to cut the fucking thing, put drugs inside the skin, and then send it like wandering over the border. And then I go through the official checkpoint and then meet it. And I said, "No, no, no, no, no, no."
1: Yeah, but you could have saved. Oh. How is it going to survive?
0: Son? I don't understand.
2: Oh, he would have gone and set the whole thing up, apparently. I mean,
0: humans do that.
2: I don't, he's going to yeah, cut it's like the camel. Yeah, it's like drug trafficking.
0: Huh. He's going to cut the camel, put drugs in yeah, it. Yeah, like slice the skin. Yeah, just a little... And then, little, then the thing will just walk to in. the border? Yeah. And just send you it you across could do the border, Yusuf. Yeah. How do they know where the camel will go? Oh, they probably have somebody watching it or something. I well, you
2: know. would take camel. it. You would it's take like it. It's like a no? mafioso smuggler thing.
3: Sorry? Oh, like a camel through the eye of a needle. Goodness gracious, that's actually... Really applicable. That's not even a pun. That's actually just really a- applicable. Good job idioms.
5: <laughs> <laughs>
3: Sorry, that actually really like, that wasn't even a pun. That actually just really worked. Oh man. All
2: right. All right,
0: everyone. <laughs> now we're having a little break. Um, here's our song for the week. It's Beni Madam Zekimiran by the great Zekimiran. Mm-hmm. Uh,
5: yaşıyorum. Dünya yarar? Dostluklarla yaşıyorum. Şiirlerde, romanlarda, Şiirlerde, romanlarda Gelmiş geçmiş zamanlarda, Bamburlarda, kemanlarda, şarkılarda yaşıyorum Sevgilerden akışlarla, mutlu mutsuz bakışlarla Sevgilerden akışlarla, mutlu mutsuz bakışlarla Kalpten kalbe alkışlarla, alkışlarla yaşıyorum Kalpten kalbe akışlarla, alkışlarla yaşıyorum Sevdim bir zamanlar içimde bin hatıra var ben de sevdim bir zamanlar içimde bin hatıra var Herkes hayatını yaşar anılarla yaşıyorum Herkes hayatını yaşar anılarla yaşıyorum Ne köşklerde ne sarayda Uzakta dualarla yaşıyorum Benim yerim çok uzakta dualarla yaşıyorum Şarkılara duymusenen Çilelere göz gelen Şarkılara duymusenen Dertli gönüllere giren İşte benim Zeki Dertli gönüllere giren İşte benim Zeki Kimsesizlerin kimsesiziyim Kimsesizim Yalnızların yalnızıyım Yalnızım Dertlilerin dertlisiyim Dertliyim Aşıkların aşkıyım Aşıkım Mesut, so that
0: was the legendary Zeki Miran. Yeah, that was. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, I I think we're gonna go back to the camel because this story is even better than like Mike taking. It's better than like anything I've. Fire
2: questions, come on! What do you want to know? So this was a ten-day trip. It's about 10, 11 days, yeah.
0: You and the camel on the desert. Mm-hmm.
2: And you were navigating with Google Maps or, or what? This is pre-iphone, or pre-Bradley can afford iphone. <laughs> so this was with a with a compass. No. <laughs> Very easy. Basically, the road runs did you, did southwest. Yeah. If you head south for a few days and you head west for a few days, you'll find Damascus. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs> any problems go directly north and you hit the main road now I know now I know <coughs> why you can't understand directions by the way <laughs>
1: <laughs> just go
2: this general direction hopefully you find it <laughs> as legend goes you'll always Damascus will always find you you'll always find Damascus it's fine so, so they tried to steal camera at some point yeah and the fucking Bedouins tried to steal the thing
0: how, how did that work
2: after like day four, I think word was around that there was a, a, a banjo with a camel. So <laughs> they came with a truck with food and water on it, um, trying to be friendly and schmooze me and whatever. And I was not buying it. I was like, something's up. So they had two trucks, actually, one with the food and stuff and one with guys. So <laughs> and they all got off. And they would, like, there's instructions about how to make the camel sit down, how to make it stand up, blah, blah, blah. And they knew all this shit. So they tried to do the, the sit down one to then, I guess, grab me off What's it. The,
1: how, do you, how do you get to sit? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Which is going to sound lovely on radio, I'm sure. That's an exclusive for a stun boom boom. Um, what was it? Not again. <laughs> <laughs> what, are you doing? what are you doing with your hand? You have to like, it's a stick. There's a stick. You, you hit, hit it? You hit the stick on the floor. You hit the, the camel? Like, no, on the floor. Tap it on the floor and you're like... Yeah. and that noise makes it want to sit down. <laughs> <laughs> it's an automatic,
1: uh, yeah, an automatic camera. It's like a, or like a stick camera. Makes
2: its legs bend. Yeah.
1: If you started whacking a stick in front of me on the floor, I would do whatever you say.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I had like I had a cane with a little curly top.
3: Yeah,
2: I'll have to show you pictures. But look, so they tried to make the thing Alfie sit down. I was. Kicking him to not sit down to stop this knee jerk reaction to this horrible noise. And <laughs> he didn't sit down, and we walked off into the distance.
0: So I don't know if they're trying to steal a camera, but why didn't they just like pull a gun and say, get the fuck
1: off Well, the they
2: took mobile phone videos of me. And maybe they just
1: thought you were amazing.
2: But why did they bring food and water? <laughs> to help you?
1: Because you were a, a, Cause for- a foreigner in it. the desert with no idea what you were doing. <laughs> It Maybe. It's a
3: better win win situation.
2: No <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Maybe refused no refused hospitality, hospitality. I I not think think so. thought thought they were they were kidnappers. those That those probably ISIS probably now kidnappers now. No pun intended. No pun intended. No yeah, probably, yeah. <laughs> they just wanted the camel. The camel was money. Oh god! So that was the camel. <laughs> that was more. <laughs> Give us more camel, Bradley. <laughs> I'm never gonna get over this. <laughs> Give you more camel. There were options. Three options to sell it. Oh, oh my depends. poor Alfie. So there was three options, right? One, after scouring the markets of Damascus, I could sell it for meat, <laughs> which would be a big sin, big haram. So that didn't happen. Then there was a Russian circus at that point in Damascus. <laughs> <laughs> so they offered, they offered to buy, but the condition was they wanted a two-humped, not a geometry, and I had a one-hump. <laughs> so, so, long story short, I sold it back to a lovely Bedouin man who came to Douma and, and collected him. And I have a picture of him on the truck. So sad. Wait, did you get your money back? Almost all of it. I lost like 300 bucks. American bucks. It's not bad. So, so it's you,
0: not bad. So you were trying to buy a tent, right? In Damascus.
2: Yeah. After I bought the camel. Oh, okay. I'd gone camel. through training from a 15-year-old boy who's now living in Istanbul as a 19-year-old man. Camel riding. 20-year-old training. man. Camel training. Yeah. Uh, and the Mokhabarat tried to steal the camel at that point. We had to hide it in the, ruin, <laughs> the ruins of the now-destroyed Palmyra. Fuck what? ISIS. Yes. <laughs> why was it? Because the foreigner that? was apparently not allowed to own the camel.
0: But why were they trying to steal it?
1: Why can't a foreigner have a camel?
2: Couldn't they just arrest There's it There's no paperwork. It's it a cash black market deal, right? <laughs> the tent. I went back to Damascus, bought some supplies and stuff like shitloads of alhamra, cigarettes, whatever. Tried to buy a tent for camping. No one in Nebraska seemed to understand what a tent was. So I was drawing like a stick man laying down like that, and then with like a thing over the top like a cocoon. And they were like, uh-huh, and they thought I wanted to buy a coffin. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs> they were like, "Oh, somebody died!" Like, "No, no, no, no, no, no, no." I was like, "Sleeping, sleeping," and then you know, drawing the stick man like this, and they were like, "Huh." And they just, really no one got it. And then I finally found one, which an old haji had used to take to Mecca to camp on his hajj. So I found one. It's a, it's a haji tent. Were you like, so you were just sleeping in the desert every day? Yeah. No, one day I slept on an olive farm with olive farmers. And one day I slept with farmers. It was like Noah's Ark. There was a donkey, a camel, a sheep, <laughs> two dogs, some people. It was brilliant.
0: <laughs> but the rest of the eight days you slept on the desert.
2: Yeah. What do you do with the camel when you're when you go in the tent? It just stays? Tie one of its legs up and then he hobbles around on three and he can't <laughs> run away.
1: Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, that's honestly what you do. You're tying the camel to itself?
2: Just tying one of its front legs up like this. Those things are huge. Yeah. You just grab its leg, whack the thing up, and put some rope around it. <laughs> <laughs> You're more of a man than me, Bradley, I have to say. (laughs) There was a windstorm one night. I woke up and it was like a kilometer away and I was like, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs) The sun was rising and I could just see the little fucker like eating some bushes or something like out in the middle of like some shrubbery out in the middle of nowhere. I was like, that fucking thing. So I had to run and get it. And then of course, when it saw me running, it decided to run (laughs) on three legs. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Can you imagine?
0: This week... This time, a, Boom Boom has a special. We have a musical guest because we are all in the business of creating stars. And, um, and yeah. So, here is the next star. He's going to be on an empty way in like six months, Max. You'll be buying his record.
1: Yeah. Wait, h- hang on, Max. I don't know your last
0: name, so we're going to have to.
3: Oh, can I tell my full name? Yeah. My full name yeah. is Maximilian. Chaz Man.
0: Here is Maximilian <laughs> the
3: Chaz man! Yeah. Right. Oh, man! Hi, everybody. My name is Max. Pleasure to meet you all out there in the radio world. Podcast world. And <laughs> what I wanted to say is... Uh, so, yeah. I have a little song. Should I give background for it? Yeah, please.
0: Yeah, Take your time.
3: So, um... What I was going to say is... Uh, yeah, my. There's a background to the song, and uh, I made the song. It's in Turkish, but I'll give the English translation, be, even though it won't make any sense. And uh, basically, what happened is when I was working at my old school, my old school was in a different city, which shall remain nameless. <laughs> but uh, when I was working at my old school, one of my bosses, who's this very tall Turkish man, He looks kind of like an American bald eagle, actually, and uh, what he said was, he would always call me Peanut, and he was like, one day, he said, Max, come here, and so what I did is I followed him into his office, and on his computer was a screen, or were pictures of this young girl, this 23-year-old girl, and he was like, Max, is this girl pretty? because Guzelma and I was like "Uh, Yeah, and he said She's my niece and I said Alright, and then he said uh, Would you like to meet her and I was like do we get to have coffee first or No, and he was just like yeah, she's 23. She doesn't speak any English, but you can meet her so I Got scared and kind of ran away, but I made a song and a story, because I love Black Sea Village girls from this point on. Your guys' fingers are going to get so tired, because I never know when to shut up. <laughs> anyway, what I was going to say is, um, so this girl, I decided I would make a song up for this girl named Honey or Fatime, which is like the Black Sea edition of uh, Gladys in American English. and. Her eyes will be the color of chestnuts, and all the time it will be harvest time within my heart. And every morning we will pick tea, and every night we will Kolbasta, which is the Turkish version of amazing dance. And on that note, I will sing my song of true love, because everybody else's fingers are getting tired. So I'm just going to sing it. Hani feyim. Honey Fayim, Seni Sevejim, Honey Fayim, Ben Adam Doorson, Temel Nerade, Neapiorsun Orson, Chayachi Jayas, Mulamai Hamsi Kazartajas. Thank you, Maximilian. Thanks for being, our, Thanks for being our inaugural
1: music. Group,
0: guys. And keep on with the great puns,
3: yeah, we'll try <laughs>
0: and, and we'll look for your record under kesh records so so Bradley, like
1: camels aside, uh, you do do some pretty serious work as a journalist, yeah, um, and the issue the issue you focus most on i I think like you know you know the fact that you were in Syria before the the war, like that used to be like a real. Place at least
2: where where there was some kind of freedom for LGBT people, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. Back in 2010, I was in Syria doing things, doing a story about Iraqi Iraqi gay guys that left from Iraq and fled the homophobic violence and went to to to, yeah yeah, to Syria because there was actually kind of gay life in Damascus and Aleppo. Um, Weirdly, those people then being second secondarily displaced to Turkey. Or went back to Iraq, or went to Jordan, or finally right. got resettlement and stuff. But yeah, no, it was, it was a kind of, um, a very. Oh, there was very much an open gay scene in, in Damascus, which was quite an interesting thing, because in Iraq, it's not officially illegal to be gay, and in Syria, it is. Really? So they were fleeing yeah. a country which was not criminalizing homosexuality to a country that was, but having a better life. But now, obviously, that's all gone. But now that's completely gone. I'm not sure, though, because... well. If, if, if For those people that were asylum seekers or refugees in Damascus at that point, it's probably all gone. But for Syrians, it's probably, you know, somehow the same. I think the, apparently the parties get better when there's a war on, right? So maybe, maybe that's true. But most of the, the Wait, Iraqi it, guys that I followed then ended up in Turkey. And are now in Istanbul? No, some of them are in different cities in Turkey because Iraqis are not like Syrians. They're not allowed to live in Istanbul uh, officially if they're claiming asylum in a third country. They are uh, put in satellite cities, basically, Kayseri, Sparta, Denizli, central Anatolian <coughs> cities, basically, in the middle of nowhere, where there's zero gay life, full of other uh, Iraqi refugees that are not gay or LGBT friendly, right. facing homophobia. Um, <coughs> yeah. And the same with the Iranians. The, Re- the Iranians basically face the same issues. Um, Coming from Iran to Turkey is a sort of transit country for two or three years before they go to the U.S. Or but Canada. it's
1: like I, I always wonder, like, so the people, the people that can afford to live in Istanbul, it mm-hmm. seems like, the, like you were saying, that there is, they can be all right here. Mm. But what about people who can't afford it and have to live in the camps and, and stuff like that in Turkey? Like, how how is that for them? Because I mean, you know, how's the how forget like how the how Turkey Turkish society like they're they're trapped in like yeah you know with their fellow Syrians in a really nasty you know yeah wartime course. environment in
2: in yeah i think um for lgbt's that are not you know affluent enough to do things themselves have an incredibly tough time more so in the camps of course because it's a completely homophobic environment and you're mostly for zero privacy you're living with your family usually in a tent or with mates um somehow though the lgbt community especially gays mostly help other gays and trans help other trans it's not really an LGBT family in that sense, but it's, you know, the gays help the gays, the trans help the trans, the lesbians help the lesbians. And most of them will come to Istanbul. If they're kind of, they're comfortable with themselves and their identity, it seems like most of them, will, or even in Antakya, for example. Even, in those, even people without the means can somehow... Mm, in Hatay, for example, like gay, gay, gay guys I know have got other guys out of the camp and given them, you know, recommended them for jobs. It's complete nepticism, but I mean, that's how it works like the gays are recommending the other gay guys for the job mostly also because the boss is gay for example maybe it's not the best situation but it's a way of helping each other and that's what I found mostly in my travels and my work and you know LGBT people always help LGBT people out in the Syrian context it's also true like in Antakya there's quite a gay Syrian scene Um, and of course in Istanbul
1: what what about like elsewhere in the Middle East like with everything just in, in chaos really
2: yeah, I mean, the Arab Spring didn't really bring that many great things for LGBT people. Uh, even if you look at somewhere like Tunisia, recently people have been imprisoned for homosexuality, or, you know, Egypt, it's a complete disaster. Yemen, Syria, I mean, Lebanon's also facing its own issues with LGBT people, but it's it's far more pro- progressive than anywhere else. Um, Jordan, it's not really great. Iraq, it's still a complete nightmare. Um it's, it's not really looking great. But what, what I find s- sad is actually the kind of ev- evacuation of LGBTs from the whole region to yeah. North America or Europe. It's like that's the only way they're going to live, is just to evacuate them all, because they're now classed as, you know, invulnerable people under the, you know, special people. That, you know, David Cameron, for example, is saying, oh, yes, we'll highlight LGBT cases, and that's also why we'll bomb ISIS. Right. When I've got two friends that are actually in Britain. They made it illegally from... From from Syria to Istanbul and then to the UK illegally through Calais and everything, and they're telling them that they might be sent back to Croatia because that's the first country they were registered in, in Europe. Uh, so David Cameron can use the premise of of gay rights to bomb ISIS, but then not give two gay Syrians asylum in Britain. This kind of stuff I find really hypocritical and really uh, sad. And the same with Iraqis, like this instability that was actually brought. I mean, I think gay men from what I've Interviews I've done and people I've spoken to, they said they had a better life as a gay guys under Saddam because it was just not really looked at than the instability and all these militias that right. then r- raised Th- their head after. Th- that's like that was
1: sort of that's one question I had. Like you know, like watching Egypt, with, which both of us c- covered. You know, it's like it feels like a lot of times if you're if you're like a new regime or you're or you're trying to in some way like shore up your your popular support and your power. Like you go after, you go after groups like that to try and like to have like an enemy basically that like, people can rally behind. Yeah. And like, like Sisi after, after the coup did that, right? Like he, you know, they you know, it's not like the gay community in Egypt has had it ever yeah. very good, but
2: like he, he really made a point of like demonizing them, you know, as yeah. part of like
1: his effort to just be like populist basically.
2: Mm-mm. And the same in Syria at the beginning, they were saying on TV that, you know, everyone's homosexual, the gays are doing this, the gays are doing that. It was During, kind of in a, the
1: beginning of the protests. Yeah, there really? were people
2: on TV, on Adonia TV, saying this. I thought
1: they were Islamists. They can't both.
2: Well, they were both, They were gay Islamists, so am sure. <laughs> gay gay jihadis. <laughs> the gay-theists or whatever. But, um, yeah. No, of course, it's, it's a very easy to stigmatize community, and both Sunni and Shia sects completely hate these people. They don't fit in, in the Middle East, and anywhere else in the world, usually LGBT people face discrimination. So linked with religion and politicized religion in this part and also authoritarian regimes and a sort of conservative society or societies it's uh, it's a complete disaster i mean even in turkey like or even in istanbul half of istanbul is completely homophobic there's only taksim kedokoy and besiktas basically the kind of gay friendly ish places and yeah. Uh aside from that no i mean people face a lot of issues and i do understand why people want to be resettled overseas but th- th- at the same time you know, LGBT rights are not going to progress in this region if people don't stick around and change right. people's attitudes and just say, like, yes, we exist, we're completely normal people, and, you know, right. we want our rights.
1: But I mean, right, also, like, the less people there are, mm. then the, less, the harder it is for those to remain, isn't it? Like,
2: mm. of course. And I think the, the wider code of sort of attention only came focused on eligible, gay people in, in Syria, basically, and Iraq with ISIS which is very extreme, very you know, dramatic. Right. But people are forgetting, like back in 2006 to 2010, like uh, Shia militias in Iraq were targeting gay guys, whether they were gay or just... They were that's perceived to That's why to they ended gay. up in Syria, right? Yeah, that's why the, all the Iraqi guys left to Syria. <coughs> and that was nothing to do with ISIS. These guys were Shia and, um, you know, they were funded by Iranians and things and all these mullahs who put fatwas on, on homosexuality and things. So it's a big mess. It's not like one place accepts and one place doesn't. It's like a kind of a blanket, a blanket ban, but at the same time, there are pockets of life that happen, yeah. and it will always happen. Gay guys will always meet each other. Uh, to be trans in this region is a complete struggle for your existence, and even in Turkey, for Turkish trans people, yeah. it's a complete disaster. There's trans murders happening almost on a monthly basis, uh, either by their clients or people that have sex with them and then think that they uh, and easy to get, get away kill with them too, right? Yeah, and the people don't seem to prosecute it. The Ca- police don't really care. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's sad. Yeah, in Iran, it's an interesting case because um, you can... Being transgender is not illegal. It's completely allowed and they'll, they'll pay for the sex change. But um, being gay or lesbian is illegal. But only if you've had sex witnessed by three people, what? which is basically The impossible. best sex. Which, which is the, clearly <laughs> the, best, the best kind of sex. Yeah, but also in Iran, I found it when I was there back in two thousand eight or seven or something um there was also a big gay scene but it's always completely underground like it's house parties the same as it was kind of at some point in syria after these raids started happening in parks and things um yeah it was you know people's houses and
4: yeah i I think there's a strong lgbt movement in the middle east i just i agree with you it's Mm. completely underground and i think that for a long time you know government local authorities know where it's happening and know where these people are, you know, mobilizing or convening or meeting and they will ignore it until there's like a, a moment where they could use it politically. Like in Egypt where there was like,
3: yeah. I think
4: sometime last year, I don't remember when, where they went and raided a bunch of parties that yeah. would happen all the time. Mm-hmm. And so many people were arrested.
0: And from the audience, ladies and gentlemen, the great Rajal interrupted
2: Yeah, I think a lot of things in Egypt, like another Regions and other countries in the world like homosexuality has become more about the sexual act rather than the identity of just somebody that loves somebody of the same sex right Mm -hmm. and then it's demonized from the society and whatever else culturally it's not accepted it's seen as dirty and blah blah blah and then it's taken out of you know way out of proportion and then it's you're the result of all the problems of the society it's because you're having sex up the ass or whatever that's it it's you.
4: And even for like as an Arab woman, oh. as a Yemeni and an Arab woman, like even I'm straight, and for us, it's like sex is a topic that's very taboo. You never talk about it. We never talk about it. You never do it. You never have sex until marriage. If you do, you never talk about it. You never say it. Um, but I think this is a reason, and I'm, I'm not sure because I'm not from Iran, but I think this is one of. I, I think you're exactly right. Like this is one of the reasons why the government would say, we will, we will pay for any surgical procedures or, anything, or any surgeries to switch your identity and make you a man or a woman versus openly saying that you're a man having sex with a man or a woman uh-huh. having sex. It's more about identity versus sex. But it
2: also was a, a fatwa issued by Imam Khomeini. There was a trans woman that lobbied him and he then gave in and said, yeah, okay, you can change your gender. You can have the sexual reassignment surgery. So that's how it happened. It was from one, one trans woman that lobbied him to hell and then he issued this fatwa and said, yes, you can have your, your, your sex change surgery. And now they fund it. But the thing is, there's also a complica- complication now where they're saying that gay men are being forced into having sex change surgery and lesbian women are being forced into the sex change surgery. I'm not sure as to how much that is true, but um, you know, if, if you're a gay man and you, you, know, you have a psychologist or something, They'll give you the electronic, the electric shock treatment thing. And they'll say, okay, you're gay, so actually you want to be a woman.
4: Wait, what electric shock? I'm just... They give them like this gay. electric
2: shock therapy when they look at pictures, then they... But then, then you
0: uh, won't be gay anymore.
2: No, you'll be a, a woman, a straight woman. Yeah. That's attracted to men. But genetically, you'll be a woman. This is what... This is, like, there's an accusation against the Iranian government that they're doing this on a larger, widespread scale. I'm not okay. sure. Yeah, like forced, forcible sex changes. I'm not sure as to how much that really happens and how much that's kind of Orientalism going over the top with the Iranians are doing this. Honestly, there's a huge network of, there's like an established network of refugees how to come out of Iran to come to Turkey and then go to Canada mostly, sometimes the US. I don't see why if someone's got the knowledge of, being gay and has a gay community in Iran, why they wouldn't know about that sort of railroad in that sense to come to Turkey. Iranians don't need a visa for Turkey either. Which is why partly why this LGBT scene in Turkey and in Istanbul is like, growing so much because of this visa-free policy for Arab countries in Iran. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a growing place for the, for the gays. I have one question for
1: you, actually. Mm. So, like, I, I, I remember, like, um, I think it was two or three months ago. The UN was saying because because I think in the U.S. and and other Western countries, like, gay rights has become like a very easy political topic, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's like the, it's like a, if you want to score political points, it's a
2: good way. Yeah, to do Yeah, it's like it. the new black struggle of you know this this right. century, this generation. Yeah. So I think and I, I think you
1: I see politicians jump on it all the time and mm-hmm. and then especially like in the US right like they always project that internationally um and I remember like a few months ago the UN was was saying that they were going to make a big issue about um gay rights in Syria or like protecting gay people in Syria hmm. or LGBT people in Syria and and I and and I they were going to focus on on the on ISIS territory with that right and I to me, like I, I saw it like as a, a possible like a, almost like a media stunt, right? Yeah. Like what, what what are the two things that are just guaranteed to get you media attention, like ISIS and LGBT rights put mm-hmm. together. But it made me wonder, like and that's my question for you, like what is the appropriate response or, or act, plan of action, if any, from from like the international community? to to this issue in the, in, the, in this region right now in regard like, to like, isis what, no in general like what in like, general what, what, what with isis but then also in general like what what should people what should governments
2: and groups like the un be doing if anything so for whatever my opinion worth what's happening now is the complete evacuation anybody that registers with the un hcr or the un you know the I- iom or any other organization and says i'm lgbt they'll put them on a resettlement priority and they'll be shipped off to some other place. Fine, I understand the risks. What maybe I think should happen is supporting of more grassroots organizations. There are, there are organizations, there are some here in Istanbul, that are run by people from all over the Middle East, from, like, from Morocco all the way over to Yemen and further afield, right? A huge different range of, of nationalities, all Arabic speaking, that are you know, growing this sort of community here and helping each other out, looking for jobs, looking for accommodation, things like that. Through things like that here in Istanbul, in Tunisia, in, you know, the whole region, in Egypt, in Lebanon, in Jordan, wherever else. That's the only way I think people can have kind of a change mentally. And things like Friend of Ours are doing, Mutual Friend of Ours, you know, an online magazine you know, focused on the LGBT community in Arabic. It's online, it's free, it's accessible to everybody, it's in the language of the people, it's spreading information, right. news, and it's also kind of topical and funny. Those kind of things will change public per- perceptions of things, but I think it's it's such a long way off, like, honestly, it's... Uh,
4: in, pop, in pop culture, too. Yeah, I, I mean... I think that's the, the number one yeah. goal, because like Middle East pop culture, even just in TV series or anything, if anyone does refer to... Like, if there's any gay character in any soap opera series mm. they're actually you know they're degraded like it's it, it's yeah. its awful but it's kind of I think it's an advocacy level not only like systematically in terms of like policies and just how you know the LGBT community is is treated by law and and how laws are enforced for people you know for equality, but it's also from the basic level of just, like, what is put into, like, more content that's produced that kind of integrates, Mm. you know, the LGBT community in a more normalized, realistic way versus having them be the more, like, funny characters or the more, like, not really, they don't play very serious roles or they're Mm. roles that are, and I've seen so much of that in the Middle East, like, the very rare roles that I've seen or characters or anything like that in pop culture even like in music videos or musicians it's it's it's always degraded or it's very like super it's not really it's not substantive Mm. you know but yeah there's a
2: long way to go i mean in pop culture in society and whatever in politics and law and legislation and things there's a long way to go mike i don't know it's a big question what can be done i think just supporting supporting individuals supporting grassroots organizations like that's that's that's what i'd say
1: yeah no even baby steps I mean I just yeah. I almost felt like when, when that debate. I don't know if you remember this specific debate but like when the UN was debating that I almost felt like yeah. you're going to make it worse like you're going to oh they're they, raising like, the like, profile like, of it like, so yeah, much. you want you want to specifically call on ISIS or you know, condemn ISIS for attacking LGBT people like that like, what possibly could that accomplish, you know? No, of course. ISIS so, is
2: doing this to provoke people. Like, and the same year that the USA legalizes gay marriage. Like, they're throwing people off buildings and filming the fucking thing. Right. Like, come on. And
1: the UN's going to, like, make a statement against it. Like, you're just... Mm. That's why I'm asking. Like, yeah, like, I, I think the, the, your answer makes sense. Like, yeah. Focus on small local initiatives that actually yeah. affect people in a positive way. That are, instead of just, you know...
2: Yeah and also stop the stigma of HIV I mean I hate to talk about HIV like it's a gay only thing or an LGBT only only thing but it is very much more prevalent in the LGBT community especially in the Middle East like I've had uh, several I know several people that are, you know friends here that are HIV positive and it's, it's, it's, uh, it's something that you really need to be aware of and even with heterosexual people it's not spoken about so yeah. with gay people forget yeah. it it's just not going to be not going to be discussed so there's so much, there's so many layers of stigma. There's so much stigma to kind of get through. I think it's a tough, a really tough thing to face. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck, Middle East. <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice answer, this. Uh, yeah. All
2: right, everyone. Thank you, Bradley, for
0: coming up. Thank you, Maximilian. Thank you, And um, Thank you, all our live audience. Um, thank you, all our live audience in this room, and also the. Crowd for the night show see you next week everyone
1: Uh cheers guys